text for this afternoon's service is Luke 7, the verses 36 to the end of the chapter, verse 50. So Luke 7, beginning at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. For from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you love God? That's a basic question. And maybe you maybe you think to yourself, yes, but I know not as I should, or yes, but I, I know I can grow in this. And that's true, we can all grow in our love for God. But how does that happen? How do we grow in our love for God? Does that love grow simply by our own power? Or else is there something, something else to it? Well, what our text this afternoon is teaching us is that growing in love for God comes from God himself. It comes from Christ himself. Growing in love for God comes from focusing on the good news of Jesus Christ. Love for God arises from God's 
free forgiveness in Jesus Christ our Lord. That brings us to the sermon theme. God's free forgiveness produces a life of love. And we have two points. First of all, the root of a lack of love. And second of all, the root of a life of love. Now, in the passage right before our text, Jesus Christ spoke to the crowds about John the Baptist and also about himself. John the Baptist had lived a life free from all luxury. He preached a stern message of judgment and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he came to prepare the way of the Lord. Then came the Lord Jesus, and he came preaching good news. He ate and drank freely, and even ate and drank with sinners and tax collectors. Now, some people, like the tax collectors, they accepted both John's message and Jesus' message. They knew they needed to repent. They knew they needed a Savior. And others, like the Pharisees, they rejected both John's message and Jesus' message. They thought that John was too stern and strict. They did not see the need to repent. On the other hand, they thought Jesus was too lax and loose. They called him a glutton and a drunkard. They did not see the need for their own forgiveness. At first glance, the Pharisees may have seemed to have made the right decision. Both John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus, they seem like extreme people. And doesn't the book of Ecclesiastes say a wise man will avoid all extremes? Yet the Lord Jesus finishes his discussion of John the Baptist and himself with these words, Wisdom is justified by all her children. He says, Wisdom is justified by all her children. In other words, what the Lord Jesus is saying, some people like the tax collectors accepted John's message of repentance and the Lord Jesus' message of good news. And other people, like the Pharisees, rejected both of them. Which was the wise choice? Well, the wise choice will be revealed in the lies of these two groups of people. John and Jesus' ministries will be proven wise by the people who accepted their message. And our text gives proof of this. It's a test case for what the Lord Jesus said right before our text. Verse 36 of our text sets the scene. A Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus into his home. He did not seem overly hostile towards Christ, but perhaps wanted to get a better look at him. And the Lord Jesus accepts his invitation, and they reclined at table. They enjoyed a meal together. Now, after this scene is set, a tension point arises. In walks a woman. She stands at Jesus' feet, which would have been away from the table as they were reclining. She begins to wet his feet with her tears, and then uses her hair to dry them. And then she kisses his feet and anoints them with expensive ointment. All this must have been somewhat awkward for the people there to watch. Well, that's not all. This is not just any woman. The text says 
She is a sinner. And notice that the text does not deny her sins. It's not a false judgment people have made against her. Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has labeled her this. The Lord Jesus will acknowledge the same thing later on. Let's not pass over this fact too quickly. You see, we might immediately feel compassion for this weeping woman caring for the Lord. But think of the ugly side of her life. Her reputation seems to have been earned. Maybe she had lived sexually promiscuous life and everyone knew it. Maybe she engaged in theft. Whatever the case, it's clear she had lived uh, contrary to God's law, offended his holiness. And yes, she deserved to be cast out of God's presence forever. She may have hurt a lot of fellow Israelites along the way. Now, the tension created by this sinful woman displaying affection for Christ leads to the the turning point in our text. And the turning point is a judgment of Simon in verse 39. The Pharisees' thoughts will give way to the rest of the words of our text. So verse 39 is important. There we read. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You see, what he sees going on in front of him cannot help but bring judgments out of his heart. That's what so often happened as the Lord Jesus carried out his ministry. The, The hearts of people were exposed. And this was even prophesied about in Luke chapter 2, when the Lord Jesus was presented at the temple. Simeon prophesied, saying, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed, that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Right? People cannot help but make judgments about Christ, who is either salvation or a stumbling block. And in our text, Simon's heart has been exposed. It's been revealed. The Lord Jesus is a stumbling block to him. The scene before him has caused him to make a number of judgments in his heart. First of all, he's made a judgment about the woman. She is a sinner. This was true, of course, but he saw nothing else about her. And by judging this woman this way, he's also made a judgment about himself. See, to this Pharisee, there are only really two kinds of people in this world. There are sinners, and there are righteous people. And this woman is a sinner because she's made a train wreck out of her life. Obviously, people like her need to repent. But other people like him have no need of repentance. He's also made a judgment about Christ. He says, by letting the sinful woman touch him, he thinks Jesus cannot be a prophet. Perhaps he wasn't sure before. Maybe he was like, I'm going to check out this new rabbi here. Maybe he invited the Lord over to form his own opinion about him. But his mind is made up now. 
He thinks Christ cannot be a prophet. And if he were, then he wouldn't let this woman touch him with a 10-foot pole. And Simon's certainly not going to let this woman touch him. Simon's heart's been revealed. But here we must understand the Lord's ministry cannot but expose our hearts too. Thoughts and judgments are going to come out of our hearts too. And the Lord's words and actions are going to challenge us in some ways. No, it's good to pay attention to those, those judgments that arise out of our hearts. Not, not only about Christ, but also about other people. You know, they, they teach us something about ourselves, about our worldview. They show us what we believe about sin, about God, about Christ, about salvation. Now, in our text, Christ shows the importance of the judgments that have come out of Simon's heart. So now the Lord speaks in response. And notice, first of all, that in Christ's response to Simon, he proves, he shows, that he is indeed a prophet. Right? Simon said a prophet would, not, would know that this woman was a sinner. And Christ is going to make it clear, he knows all about this woman's life. He knows all about it. But Christ shows he's more than a prophet. He shows by his response he knows exactly what Simon is thinking. Christ had the divine power to look into people's hearts. And because of that, both Simon and all of us will do very well to listen to what Christ has to say next. Christ responds by saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? It's a simple parable. Daenerys was about a day's wage. The difference in debts was substantial. 500 denarii or 50. Which person will love him more? Such a simple parable. A child can tell you the right answer. And so Simon, half-committed, says, well, I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. You have judged rightly, the Lord says. Simon could make a right judgment about this parable, but he could not make a right judgment about the scene before him. So Christ used this parable to show this Pharisee his own lack of love. So lack of love is revealed by his actions toward the Lord. Simon invited Christ to his home, but he did not even provide the standard hospitality for that culture. Did not give him water for his feet. Did not give him a welcome kiss. Did not refresh his head with oil. It's like someone were to come to your home. You don't shake his hand. Don't welcome him in. Don't offer to take his coat. Don't invite him to sit down. Don't even give a glass of water to drink. And that sort of treatment would show you you don't view your, the person in front of you as your honored guest. More like your equal. Well, that's what Simon did to the Lord. Why did Simon fail to show any sort of love to Christ? Is because he did not see his need 
for repentance or forgiveness from Christ. Christ says, whoever is forgiven little, loves little. It's really fascinating what Christ does. He does not directly accuse Simon of a lack of love. But he simply points out his lack of hospitality. And then he just lets those words sit there for a moment. Whoever is forgiven little, loves little. Who might that be, Simon? We can almost hear the crickets chirping in the room. What should Simon conclude? His self-righteousness might have led to outward obedience and a decent life. It also led him only to see sin in everyone else's life. Not to true repentance. Not asking God for forgiveness. And it did not lead him to love the Lord or his neighbor. He who is forgiven little, little loves little, says Jesus. Those words give us a chance to reflect on our own hearts and lives too, don't they? Again, remember the question I asked you at the beginning of the sermon. Do you love God? How much love do you have for God and for the Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ? And here's, here's a test for you. Imagine that today, after this service, the Lord Jesus came to your house for supper. How would you treat him? What would you say to him? What would you do for him? Would your treatment of Christ invited to your home look more like Simon the Pharisee or like this sinful woman? Now, perhaps those words convict you and you know what? I'm sure we can all grow in love for the Lord, can't we? But how does that happen? How can we grow in this love? Well, that's what we're going to look at next in our next point. Look again at Jesus' parable. The one person had a debt of 500 denarii, equal to about two whole years of wages. In one moment, without anyone compelling him to do so, the creditor graciously wiped out the debt. It was gone, forgiven, forgotten. And he did this even though it was within his rights to have the debtors thrown into prison. Can you imagine the relief and the joy of the person with such a large debt just wiped out, forgiven? Of course, this person will love this gracious debtor, uh, creditor. And the debt was wiped out at the creditor's own expense. How can you not respond in love? And this is exactly what this woman feels toward the Lord Jesus. We don't know how much she knew about him. Perhaps she had heard the Lord preach and teach 
Maybe Christ had met her before and talked with her. One thing is sure, this woman knew she was a sinner, but she found grace and mercy and forgiveness in Christ. Right? Luke 7 says that Christ had a reputation of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This woman knew this also. She's a sinner, but she put her trust in Christ and she found forgiveness in and through Him. His ministry removed the burden of her sins from upon her. And so when she learns where Christ is, she cannot help but enter the house and express her love to Him in a tangible way. And she went well beyond the standards of hospitality, even for that culture. She wet Jesus' feet with her tears. She wiped the dirt and tears off their hair, kissed his feet, poured this expensive ointment on them. She loved the Lord. That's why Christ makes the conclusion he does in her text. After telling the parable, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? She has gone way beyond anything you have done. So Christ says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Christ is not saying that the woman's love has paid for her sins. He's saying her love is confirming evidence that she has been forgiven by God. He's saying to Simon, you judged the parable rightly, now judge what's going on here rightly. Yes, she's a sinner, but she's forgiven. Christ is telling us to see things from God's perspective. Almighty God has already forgiven her, and so mortal men must not treat her with severity. All Simon could see was her sin. But he did not see that God could take a great sinner and transform him or her into a person full of love for God. Here's where we must understand. God can also transform us into people who are full of love for him. Doesn't matter who you are. All of you here sitting today, God can transform you into a person full of love for him. What is needed? Beloved, see and understand your great need. You don't think about someone else. Think about yourself Understand the realness of your own sin. And you understand that without the Lord Jesus, you would be cast into hell. And you would spend forever there in sorrow and suffering for your sins. See, that's our great need. Understand your need for repentance, right? This woman needed to repent. She did. Her tears are evidence of her sorrow, too. Simon, he just saw, no need to repent at all. I'm fine. Understand, we all need to turn from our sins. Ask God for forgiveness. And finally, beloved, see and understand the greatness of God's mercy and forgiveness for you in Christ. You. Look at the parable Christ tells. The debtors could not pay. The creditors, the creditor did not lower the debts, saying, well, I'll just pay me this much instead. 
simply wiped them out, canceled them, forgave them. Her debts no longer held against them. And this is what God has done for us in Christ, and even more so. Jesus Christ poured out his blood on the cross so that your debt would be gone. God poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ so that he might pour out his love into our hearts. God has given you eternal life, the very opposite thing that you deserve, all of you. This is what God has done for you. Don't doubt the realness of forgiveness through our Lord Jesus Christ. By believing in him, your sins are forgiven. Believe these things, beloved. If you don't see these things, your love for God and for Christ will be little. But if you see and understand these things more and more, your love will grow. And you will find yourself being eager to do deeds of love for God. As Christ makes his conclusion about the sinful woman, he then addressed her directly, saying, Your sins are forgiven. Why does he say this to her now? He's publicly vindicating her in front of everyone in that room. He's declaring what God had already declared about her. And if God does not see her in the way they do, they should, not, they should change their attitude about her. Christ is also getting her assurance of her forgiven state. That would be encouraging for her. That would encourage her to love God and Christ more. It should encourage us. This is the forgiveness and mercy of God. Don't despair because of your sins. Come to God. Repent. Believe. Enjoy. Rejoice in God's forgiveness. And rejoice in it. Now, as Christ speaks these words to the woman, there is not joy on the part of every listener in that room. Instead, there are only more judgments, are there? They began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Well, their hearts have been revealed again by Christ. Remember, Jesus is either a salvation or a stumbling block. It was actually a good question. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? At this point, they were left with a choice, and so are we. Either he's an unthankful man who rudely points out his house's lack of hospitality, and proudly, even blasphemously, claims to have divine authority to forgive sins. Or he is a true prophet of God, who has the ability to search minds and hearts, possesses divine authority to forgive sins, and expects people to show him love and devotion. Right? Those are the options. We don't know what those people concluded in their hearts. But what matters is us. Will it be faith or unbelief? Rejection of Christ's person and work or acceptance of it? Beloved, see and believe that Christ is the Son of God. He forgives sins. Put your faith in Him. And that's what Jesus assures us of in the end of our text. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She's not saved by her works or her love. They were demonstrations of her true faith. 
She was saved by the work and love of Christ, and she put her hope in that. With that faith came peace, wonderful peace, peace with God, peace of conscience. It was a peace that could not be taken away by those who condemned her. And this is a peace we are left with, too, through the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. And may that knowledge motivate you to serve God every day. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together hymn 84. Hymn 84.